0: Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. You said he was put in the trunk and kept twice. Huh? Bosh, you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, kept twice in the trunk. Trunk music. But that's a wise guy saying out of Chicago. You know, when they whack some poor slap out there, they say, oh, Tony, don't worry about him. Tony, he's trunk music now. You won't see him no more. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod. For our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Oh, also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you'll find more detailed experience concerning Perry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get to work and probe into Chapter 1 of Trunk Music. Back on the job, after involuntary leave of absence. L.A. homicide detective, Harry Bosch, claims his first case, a Hollywood producer found in the trunk of his Rolls Royce, shot twice in the head. It looks like trunk music, a mafia hit. The LAPD's organized crime unit is oddly uninterested, but Harry Bosch thinks they are wrong. He follows the money trail from the producer's office to Las Vegas where he quickly finds evidence of mafia involvement. But something about the case doesn't add up, and Harry follows a string of odd clues. Glitter in the producer's cuffs, and an over-the-counter medication in the rose glove box. Blindsided again and again, and at odds with his supervisors, and overwhelmed by his romance that crept up during the middle of this case, Harry is off balance, as he's never been. When the picture finally comes into focus, Harry discovers the scheme many magnitudes more deadly than he imagined, with himself down one of his targets. Running on instinct and nerves, with a short fuse and everything to lose, Harry must prove himself not just by breaking the case, but by surviving it. So far on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we've taken deep dives into the first four books of the Harry Barr series, The Black Echo, The Black Ice, The Concrete Blonde, and The Last Coyote, created by famed author Michael Conley. So on today's episode, we will start a deep dive into the fifth book of the series. So take off your suit jacket and put on your jumper, because you just might get dirty, as it's time to explore chapter one of Trunk Music. time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record, so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in these chapters. <music> a body found in the trunk of Roy's Royce seems to have connections with a mob and leads Harry Bosch and his investigative team to Las Vegas. It's Harry Bosch's first case after being transferred back to the homicide table. The car was found by a beat cop near the Hollywood Bowl. Harry arrives at the concert and is informed that fireworks are scheduled after the concert ends. At the encouragement of the fire chief and approval of the medical examiner, Bosch arranged for the car to be towed away on a flatbed. The examination of the car and body are completed in a LAPD building. After the name and address of the victim is discovered, Harry and me go to interview the wife. After interviewing the wife, Washington goes to search a small office that the victim maintains in a small studio facility. Harry gains access to a surveillance video of the entrance of the office. The video shows they have been broken into and a phone bug was taken out. And that brings us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. What the a defining theme for Chapter One review of trunk music is the best confidence builder is experience. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Lion podcast. And before I start, Off. I want to say thank you guys for being patient with me for not having put out a, a podcast in a while, just like Michael Conley did between The Last Coyote and Trump music. I took a little break and I did a project with the fam, and we're still working on it. So, but I thought it was time to get back to work and hit the streets. And so, while we're hitting the streets, I want to set things up from where we were and some of the little nuances that. As we go along in the Harry Bosch ecosystem, I wanted to start picking out certain things that I hope you, the listeners, are also picking up on. And one of the things that I like about what Michael Connolly does is the phrase something like that. And what I mean by that is um, something that keeps coming, that's reoccurring when Harry interacts with different people from the book. Harry Bosch, Powers said with a touch of surprise. When did you get back on the table? Bosch looked at him for a moment before answering. He didn't know Powers, but that didn't mean anything. Bosch's story was probably known by every cop in Hollywood Division. I didn't, Bosch said. He didn't make a move to shake his hands. You didn't do that at crime scenes. First case bag in the saddle, huh? Bosch took out his cigarettes and lit it. It was a direct violation of the department's policies. But that wasn't something that he was worried about. Something like that. (laughs) You know? And Again, I know I'm silly. I know I'm silly. But Bosch throws that something like that. Almost, excuse me, Michael Conley. Throws that, quote unquote, something like that. In almost every one of Harry Bosch's books. And I like it because it says a lot without saying a lot. And I like that. And... It's again, it's just one of those little cop things that we do and it's a little bit of back and forth because Harry doesn't know the powers. So he's not going to really expound on what's going on. So he just cuts right to the chase and says something like that. And just like Michael Conley has done throughout his books, he's not afraid to write about some of the social injustices or some of the social uprising that's going on during the time period in which he writes his books, I think it would be remiss of me not to also address some of the things that's going on in October 2020. So I'd like to read a quick quote from one of my heroes, Colin Powell. Quote, in our diversity and in our spirituality, our tolerance and our commitment to human dignity lies our strength and our hope for a better future. Extremism and violence are our greatest foes. We must not listen to the siren songs of the extremists and the bigots, who cloak themselves in this false spirituality in an attempt to divide and weaken us. So as we dive into chapter one of trunk music, and to hearken back to what I just read, we see Michael Conley, just like I just said, isn't afraid to attack or point out social issues and how things are still festering today. From the book. Who's down there? Edgar and the new one from Pacific? His soul sister? Ryder. Whatever. He knew what was behind the contempt in the uniform's voice. It did not matter he knew kids. Ryder had the gift and was a top-notch investigator. Even if Bosch told him so, Powers probably saw only one reason while he was still wearing the blue uniform instead of carrying the detective's gold shield, that he was a white man in an era of females and minorities being hired and promoted. It was a kind of festering sword that I left undisturbed. So Michael Connolly's getting into something that I experienced all the time. And when you get into the upper echelons of criminal investigations and some of the more intricate criminal cases, the minorities representation there are few and far between. And at times I was the only black guy in a whole unit. And so you get the sense that sometimes people looked at you as though hmm, he was a minority um, hire, or only reason he got this job, he's sitting in his chair, is because, oh, they was filling quote unquote quotas. And it, sometimes I had to fight against that. You know, I had to push back against that and show that no, I deserve to be here. And I can prove it by the type of cases and my success rate, in which I did. But again, I like Michael Connelly. Again, back here, what was this, 1997? He's bringing this stuff up. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we're still here today. And I'm not going to go too far into why we're here all I think, you know, why I think that. But just wanted to bring this up. And this is why we love Michael Conley. You know, Michael Conley sets the tone right off the book. Remember, we're still in the first chapter, the first first couple of pages, and we see Bosch getting into it with Powers. Now, I honestly believe a little bit of this is what Powers just represented to Harry, that he appears to have some type of chip on his shoulder about his status or whatever. But one of the things that has happened to me, again, as a detective, that Michael Conley writes about right here. From the book. Listen, Powers. I know you're proud of yourself. But the next time, don't open the car. Okay? We all want to be detectives. But not all of us are. That's how crime scenes get fucked up. And I think you know that. Again, I can't tell you how many times a patrol officer... And again, I, I think I said it during our, my very first podcast almost two years ago or something to that effect. But it's... Amazing how a lot of times patrol officers and you, you, it's a fine line. Everything is gray with um, the detective world. You don't want to step on people too bad because you don't want to discourage people, or I say people, patrol officers from you know being inquisitive, helping you out, and you know um, encourage them to do their job. But at the same time, everyone has a role and everyone has a responsibility. Because I think Powers then comes back over top and then um, tells Harry, yeah. And again, it's the same thing that happened in the Black Echo. If every time I thought there was a stiff in the body and it was I mean, a stiff was in the car or a stiff somewhere and I called you guys, you would be like, that fucking Powers, he doesn't know shit. Why does he keep calling us out? Doesn't he know or whatever, whatever. And Powers is kind of right there. So there's this judgment call. But Powers is more experienced, and he should know better when to call, when not to call, and also not to fuck up a crime scene. Because a lot of times they do it, and then they as in patrol officers, fuck up your crime scene. And then I got to go back and clean that shit up. And, you know, they don't have to, again, they, they, patrol don't have to deal with what happens six months, eight months when I go to court. Because now I have to justify all the fucked up crime scene, I'm going to be responsible for explaining what happened that day. And again, like, like Harry said, he wasn't even there. But he knows through experience that when he comes to trial, he's going to have to be held accountable. And that's what he was kind of pushing back on power. like, dude, I think you know that. So stop fucking up the crime scenes. And, you know, Harry can't go without getting the last word. And I like how Harry flexed on powers after they finished arguing. He says, you know, could you now uh, lift up the yellow tape and let me by? (laughs) You know, now, I haven't done that to uh, patrol guys. If I wanted to go by, I would lift the yellow tape up myself, but I like how again, Harry Bosch uh, flexes on powers here. And I know I'm being really granular here on the first couple of pages of chapter one, but it's very important because it sets up so much in the uniform detective back and forth from this book on that I want to really, really take my time here. And one of the other things I really want to take my time on is how Michael Connelly describes Powers from the book. Powers stepped back to the tape. He was about 35, I guess, and he had the long practice swagger of a street veteran. In L.A., that swagger came quickly as it had in Vietnam. Now, again, this is the 1990s. And what Michael Conley is describing here is nothing, nothing like what the, what's going on now in 2020. What Michael Conley is talking about is it was eat or be eaten <laughs> when it comes to life on the streets in the 90s for a patrol officer. Because it was, it was chaos. You know, the crack ec- uh, epidemic had just blown up. I mean, just like in L.A., you had the riots. I mean, everything for law enforcement was just going crazy. And it was always seemed to be a scandal about cops, no matter, I mean, all over the pages. And there was a shortage. So you had this, if you survived for a couple of years, yeah, in patrol, you knew you were the shit because a lot of my peers washed out. And just like in Vietnam, I mean, I don't know, I didn't go to Vietnam, but from what Harry is describing here, it was almost the same thing. He's describing that if you made it for X amount of time in uh, Vietnam without being killed, then you had a swagger. And I know that swagger that Michael Connolly is describing here, because I did it, you know. I just can't, uh, uh, listeners, I'm embarrassed as I tell you this, I remember, you know, after a couple of months and year uh, on the street, I had the Ray-Ban glasses also. (laughs) Oh my gosh! I had the black gloves. You know, I was still fit and trim out the academy. I could run down a i could run a marathon in in my shoes, my patent leather shoes—and no one got away from me. (laughs) And so, hey, you know, but you know what? Hey, you know, we were—I was young and dumb, but to me, hey. I like that type of cop. I want a cop that has that type of swagger because you want a cop to have confidence in his ability when he shows up to the scene. Because usually, you know, on oh, the most serious note, you know, to bring things fast forward to 2020, a lot of these cops are getting in trouble because they second guessing and guess and, and second guessing themselves and worry about this and worry about that, opposed to worry about the situation at hand. And so, and I've always said it as a police officer: if you're reacting opposed to being proactive, then you're losing and you want cops to be um, proactive and not reacting. So I digress and I move on. So as Michael Conley is apt to do, he's given us these little clues, like what has Harry been doing for this last year? Again, between the last Cowboy and Trump music, because by this time, it's been a year. Well, we know what Michael Connolly was doing, but what has Harry been doing? And he kind of dangles a little bit out there because you know, Harry approached the crime scene. He sees Edgar and you know, Edgar waves at him and say, hey, Harry, where you been? And Bosch is painting. Painting? <laughs> what the fuck? We have been in Harry Bosch's world for um, four books now. And when the fuck has he started painting? But we do know. From The Last Coyote, that he met Jasmine, and Jasmine was a painter. So, again, Michael Connolly kind of gives you that quick little innuendo of like, oh, you know, he's now, you know, been painting and a relationship with Jasmine. So, again, I've been, again, I told you before, I'm being a little granular here, but I think it's pretty cool how Michael Connolly kind of teases us a little bit here, opposed to just giving it to us like a fire hose. And again, Michael Connelly continues that familiarity that we have been accustomed to different characters in the book. And unfortunately, now, the last coyote, and I think I've let everyone know my infinity towards um, Edgar. And it will be revealed later, the big reveal, why I like Edgar. But as we see, Edgar is uh, Edgar. (laughs) And Michael Connelly continues that continuity of how Edgar is. From the book, it was unusual for Edgar not to be in one of his Chris Nordstrom suits. But Bosch thought he knew why. His informal dress practically guaranteed he would avoid doing the dirty work. The next again notification. <laughs> now, what I mean for new podcast listeners and new to the Harry Bosch world, if you just picked up on this podcast right here, from the very first book, The Black Echo, Edgar showed up to a crime scene where a body was found in a pipe and he showed up in a Chris Nordstrom suit and he quote unquote forgot his jumper. And so again, guaranteed that Harry would have to go in to the, uh, the pipe, you know, because Edgar wasn't going to mess up his, his new suit or his Chris suit. Now we see the opposite happens here. He shows up to a crime scene and he's in uh, regular casual clothes. And so, you know, that kind of enforces with one of the negative vibes. I wouldn't say negative vibes, but one of the things that always bothered Harry about Edgar was he wasn't down for the mission. And, you know, when... He'll do his job, and, you know, you got to read other books. Harry and Edgar have gotten into big arguments, especially for the Concrete Blonde. But Harry always kind of had a problem with Edgar not being down with the mission, like just doing it, you know, being out there 24 seven about the job homicide. Edgar's had side jobs and a lot of other things going on, but he's very proficient in what he does. And I get, I wouldn't mind him working with me because you can count on him to do his job. But would Edgar go the extra mile, eh, probably not. <laughs> Let's see what some overtime in <laughs> Now, we also see that Michael County threw in a new wrinkle, and one of the procedures that Lieutenant Bullets had uh, implemented was Harry is the three, and three is the most senior detective that usually handles high-profile big cases. And again, in my world, I was a three. Now, just for clarifications, we actually considered the senior detectives, quote-unquote, the three, actually detective one. And in my world, we started with investigators, uh, Detective Two, and then Detective Three. So, but what Harry or what Lieutenant Billet has implemented here was Harry was a team lead for two other detectives, Edgar and Kismine Ryder. And I like what Michael Connolly's doing here because remember, Harry is, you know, the last cali. He's kind of like this lone wolf guy, but now he's responsible for his little small team. Michael Connelly right off the bat is throwing us and Harry off kilter here. So we have to like adapt a little bit. And it's kind of keeps the Harry Bosch story fresh. So as Harry converses with Edgar and kids, me, it becomes kind of obvious to Edgar that, Hey, this is a mob hit and like, Edgar does what Edgar does. Egger wants to push the case off of somebody else because it's a weekend, they got called out, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And, you know, it's annoying. It's annoying because Egger's being Egger, but Bosch pushed back on Egger. It's like, no, 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 hold on. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to handle it the way I want to handle it. And I know it goes without saying, being the D3, being the team lead, the buck stops with you. So I get what Egger's trying to do. And I like how Michael Connolly again, keeps the characters within, for lack of a better word, the Harry Bosch ecosystem, the Harry Bosch world. And Edgar can be so annoying at times. And, you know, we see how uh, the group is talking about a writer and how she's being groomed for greater things in the department. And I can tell you right now, I seen it happen all the time. I had this, it actually happened to me. I had this one um, officer who I was grooming to be a detective. And she was just the best thing that I saw in a long time. I threw the kitchen sink at her. Now, what I mean by the kitchen sink, one of my uh, grooming techniques I did, one of my mentor techniques I did, was I gave all my mentees um, the the shit details. I mean, you name it. I gave them the shit details and I wanted to see how they handled themselves. Now, reason I did that because you know, you always want to get the good stuff, the easy stuff, the glorious stuff, but can you do the dirty work? And while I watched this young officer do the dirty work, I was impressed because not only did she take my dirty work, she kept on rolling with it. And she said, give me more, give me more. And you no, know, cut to the chase right now. She is, a. Uh, a uh, uh, federal agent with the uh, um, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. So I'm really, other than the fact she went to the FBI, uh, which you know, I, as you can tell, I'm joking. I'm very proud of her. Very strong um, young officer, now agent, and I. But you see it. She was being groomed for big, bigger and better things. Everybody wanted her in their in their squad, and the reason they wanted her in the squad because she did the work. She actually did the work, and it was, uh, it was a pleasure to work with her. And I'm not sure how many of my podcast listeners are managers or ever had to be responsible for other people's um, um, actions while you're on duty. But one of the things that Michael Conley gets so right in this portion of the book is when Harry kind of lamented about this you know, newly fresh role of his being the team, the team lead, and he said, you know, quote unquote from the book, Bosch realized he wasn't as much making decisions as having them made for him. And, you know, that is so right. because, And that's what it actually all boils down to is you have this incoming, you're on the street and this incoming is just, you know, it's a new homicide, new case, but you're out there and people look to you. I mean, I can tell you how many times I've been on a crime scene and Command command staffs, chiefs, deputy chiefs, you know, the really good ones, when you show up, they look at you and say, hey, Detective, uh, what, what do you think? What, what should we do? You know, Then you start, you know, I wouldn't say barking, but then you just start laying down. But then this happens, you know, the, um, as you see here, Bosch made a decision to move the show because of this, what happen, Or, you know, somebody says, oh, the flatbed is, um, it's out of commission or they're running on, what do you do? Or, hey, we're running out of people. Do I hold this guy over for overtime? Because, you know, to control the scene. You know, again, you just, the situations are coming at you and that kind of dictates how you handle it. And that's what being a team leader is all about. And I know it might get tiresome, but I keep saying it over and over, how Michael Connelly is not afraid to go there. And this is one of the reasons why I love his writing, in particular the uh, Harry Bosch series. But he gets into he and Harry gets into a little back and forth with powers concerning being detective from the book. You got it when the getting was good. The rest of us, we got shit. I've been trying so many years, I can't even count to get a gold shield. I've got about as much chance to getting one as whoever's in that Rolls Royce trunk. But I'm not laying down. I'm out here. Five nights a week, chasing the radio. It says protect and serve on the door, and I'm out here doing it, man. So don't give me shit about my dedication. Woo! And you know, you gotta respect Pounds' anger here. But that's why I quoted Colin Powell at the beginning of this podcast, concerning diversity. But you gotta respect Powell's in this situation and how he came back on Harry. And again, because I lived it, and I know how vital they are. We see Michael Conley going back to the quote-unquote, the shake cards, and how they can be important in a criminal investigation. Again, Michael Connelly introduced us to a shake card, introduced you guys to a shake card, back in da, 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 the Black Echo. And again, I love the continuity, and I love the referring back and forth to different portions of the book, because to me, right now, we're now into the fifth book, and so now we're actually a lexicon concerning the Harry Bosch world, and all the little nuances. And I really enjoy the familiarity that Michael Conley displays here. And then we get to how Michael Conley really gives you guys a glimmer of how the O.J. Simpson case changed law enforcement from the book. You're telling me, I was just thinking I can rig up some tarp with lights with a tripod, but I don't think I'm going to be able to block the view for everybody in the bowl. Some of them are going to get a show all right. I guess it makes up for canceling the fireworks. That is, unless you're planning on sitting through until the show's over. Nah, we do that, and some defense attorney is going to tear us a new asshole in court for delaying things. Every lawyer went to school on OJ art. You know that. And that's true. Because everyone, when it comes to reasonable um, doubt and doubting the police, and as soon as it happened, all of us, said we knew things were going to change. And not change for the better. I mean, some people say for the better, but everyone's not Mark Furman. Everyone's not, you know, trying to plant evidence. And the conspiracy, I'm not going to get into the OJ case, but the whole idea is things happened during that investigation that just drastically changed the way we do law enforcement. And here, an example, again, Michael Conley is letting you, the listeners, understand well, excuse me, you readers understand how pivotal the O.J. Simpson case was. Now, all this time, Edgar has been sulking around because Harry told him, look, I'm not turning the case over to OCD, but Edgar can't let it go. Now, I like what Harry does next. He dismisses uh, kids and says, hey, look, go, you go ahead and get started and holds Edgar back. And then he gives Edgar the space to vent his, you know, to vent his uh, frustration and, quote, unquote, put it on the record. But, you know, I have to applaud Harry. But me, by this time, I'm like, look, motherfucker, stop complaining. I'm the D3. Do it the way I want to get done. If I fuck up, it's on me. But since it's going to be on me, I'm going to make the decision the way I want to make it now. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that came off my lips too fast, too easily. So I'm not as political as Harry. And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day comes from Trunk Music, Chapter One. Bosch gets into an argument where Officer Powers vents his frustration concerning the department's attempts to diversify its rank and file. From the book, you got it when the getting was good. The rest of us, we got shit. I've been trying so many years, I can't even count to get a gold shield. I've got about as much chance of getting one as whoever's in that Rolls-Royce trunk. Question, do you agree with the manner in which police departments institute diversity hiring and promotions? Yes, no, or is complicated? And as of the airing of this podcast, 55% of you said it's complicated, while 40% of you said no, and the last 5% said Yes. Well, first, let me thank everyone for participating in this um, poll. Again, while we're all dealing with COVID and adjusting to the new norms, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out and giving your feedback. Well, first of all, let me say, this question was extremely unfair to you guys. And a couple of people even made comments on Facebook about the appropriateness of this particular question. But, you know, just like Michael Connolly, we have to address these things, and I'm not afraid to address quote-unquote taboo things on my podcast because getting out information to you guys help inform the broad public. So that being said, it is complicated. Just a little anecdote in my world, as I told you when I first became a detective, a lot of times it was assumed that I was a diversity hire, which made some people feel better about the fact that I became a detective especially at such a young age but just like kids mean here what Harry was saying to himself while he was trying to deal with powers officer powers i just like kids mean was very good at what i was doing i just happened to be young but a couple of people saw and invested in me with the time and effort and gave me the tools to start learning the investigative skills my investigative skills and sharpening them so i can be a good detective cuz that's what i wanted but just like kids mean, you have to overcome those stereotypes. And it put up walls between myself and the other people who thought I was just a, quote-unquote, uh, diversity hire. So, like I've always said, I feel like I'm rambling. But again, thanks a lot for participating in the poll. And let's get back to hitting the streets. As we get back to hitting the streets, one of the things I like to point out to you guys, or did you guys catch? Michael Connolly just writes in such a criminal way and make criminal references that is so visual that just blows me away. So let's think about it. Harry is now back in the police shed with the Rolls Royce and Donovan and him are going over the car, over the Rolls Royce. And Donovan asks Harry to turn off the lights. Bosch says to himself, Bosch thinks to himself from the book, there was a thick black curtain that could be pulled closed after the garage door was shut. When they were pulled, the interior was black as a long shark's heart. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I read that, (laughs) like, that is so cool. (laughs) I mean, I I can't, Adding more to it, but Michael Conley is just on fire here. I mean, he's writing, and he's just on fire, and I love it. So as Donovan continues to examine the Rolls Royce, Perry calls OCID. And now, Michael Conley has built up OCID as a very secretive unit, and it's kind of like, I can kind of do a little bit of symbolism like Narcotic World is. especially back in the day, back early, because we kept and we continually keep our narcotic cases very secretive because you never know who's involved. And so the organized crime unit is kind of the same way, but just like OCID, I have been the one who Bigfoots people. (laughs) Now, you become this juggernaut because you do long-term investigations and a lot of, links and a lot of layers go into long-term investigations. And again, I'm not gonna bore you here, but just suffice to say, what OCID does or Organized Crime Intelligence Division does and the World of Narcotics, major narcotics or as what we call in my department, major narcotics, they kind of work similar. And so you have sources out there, you have links, you have intelligence that you don't really share with everyone else because it's like a domino effect. Or it's a cross-checking, it was an indexing of your investigation. So you want to keep that index as pure as possible. So while Harry is waiting for the dispatcher to connect him through or pass him through the uh, on-call person from OCID, Barry kind of looks over at Anthony Aliso and he can see that Aliso had Close his eyes before he was killed, and Bosch makes his reference he closed his eyes because he didn't want to he knew what was coming and Bosch kind of uh, laments a little bit he didn't want to know when it was coming and I can tell you right now for anybody or most police officers I know and more specifically me i don't want to see it coming and that's how I led my police career career especially when I did a lot of risky things, risky by being the first person to to reach your door when you are doing a search warrant or doing undercover work or whatever risky, that's what I mean in the business of uh, law enforcement, that's what I mean by risky. So Bosch is connected to the on-call person, uh, Detective Carbone. And we see Bosch first tries to establish a connection. Do I know this person? Have I heard his name before, or recognize his voice? And the reason that's important is because one of the things that happens and I'd say this from the first podcast over hell, going on two years now. Wow is that the first thing that goes through the door is your name and your reputation. And as I've been pointing out through all the myriad of podcasts, police are the biggest gossipers <laughs> in the world. We are. is tell a friend telephone, tele, a tele- police officer, because we gossip so many times was gossip about so many things. And again, Michael Conley does a good job of, of um, exhibiting this throughout Harry Bosch's career so far. So that being said, Bosch is trying to figure out who's on the other end because you want to get a vibe from the person. So you know how to deal with them. Is it a straight shooter? Is it somebody double from a uh, different case? Whatever, 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 especially now that we know that OCID Bigfoot's people and they tend to not share information or things happen that just seem to go into the ether. No one knows what happened to the investigation. Now, as Bosch and Detective Carbone are talking, Carbone does a really bad job of not seeming interested in this case, you know, the trunk case. With well, uh, least so. And the reason I say is not, he does a bad job, but because Bigfooting, there's art to Bigfooting. <laughs> there is. You want to extract information without showing you're interested. So I would say here, Carbone actually did a bad job because this case, just like Edgar said, it's classic organized crime. Carbone should be more interested. And here's a little bit of um, investigative sleuthing I'm just adding in the mix. Just like major narcotics, you don't become a detective in organized crime investigation division by being lazy. And Carbone came across as being lazy and not interested in the case. Because right off the bat, what's the first thing he said? You're not going to spoil my weekend, are you? I mean, I was on call in narcotics because just like organized crime, people do have days off, especially when I was younger in my career. You picked up the on call duty. That's just. Police work—that's police life. Excuse me. And you again, just like me. No one in my unit was lazy. Incompetent sometimes, eh, but you know, I, I, I'm just joking. But no, you don't be—you don't get into a unit like that by being lazy. And Carbone coming off as being lazy is a red flag, a big red flag. And then that's why I was saying there's an art to bigfooting because you don't want to leave bad feelings. Because just like anything else, you're gonna hear from other detectives all the time. You don't want to get a bad rep that says, yeah, when I call there, I talk to that detective, and ugh, he's full of shit. You're not going to get anything from him. But in the same token, you got to protect long-term investigation. So that's why I said, and Harry's been around long enough. You know, Harry's been on, what now, 14, 15 years now? He knows Bigfooting. He can smell Bigfooting, and he's seen it before. Hell, he's probably done it because he was in um, RHD. Where they handle what long term big investigations, homicide investigations. So, Carbone didn't really do a good job at Bigfooting here. Now, earlier in this podcast, I spoke to Edgar being annoying. And so now Harry finished talking to Carbone, and then he talks to Edgar. And Edgar then Still brings up, you who'd you talk to over at OCID? Did you get a chance to call him? And Bash said, "Yeah, they passed." He said, "They passed." Who'd you speak to? Like he didn't believe Harry. And again, I, maybe it's because this is Harry's first case back, or whatever. I'm right now say, "Look, dude, fuck. I've told you, I'm handling this. Is my fucking investigation right now? Harry is showing great restraint because I would have blasted um, Edgar right now because." Edgar, how many times are you going to beat this dead horse? And so, with Edgar, instead of being a frontal assault, he kind of slyly asked Harry, Who do you speak to over there? And he told him, so, No, I never heard of that dude. Like, okay, well, I mean, LAPD is a big department, just like my department is big. You don't know everybody. And so, Edgar, right now, he's at the point now where he's being a real dick. Michael Conley has so far in the first four books of Harry Bosch, he's had this adversarial role with this first-line supervisor, the lieutenant. And we also kind of got hinted that Lieutenant Bullets slash Billets is probably a hard ass. But you know what? Michael Connelly has rewarded Harry by having a competent commanding officer. And we see here Lieutenant Bullets Actually backs up and did something that Harry's never happened to him in his career. Said that uh, she was sorry from the book. Bosch explained the situation in detail, and Bullock's listened silently. When he was done, she nodded. I'm sorry, she said. I didn't know the details. It looks like it was your only choice. Boom! I'm I'm feeling Lieutenant right here. I'm feeling her. And then we see how Harry repays that support because Lieutenant Bullets didn't know Art Donovan's name and Harry kind of slipped in there. Yeah, hey, Art, you know, I'll make sure you get that back to us in time. And then, you know, when they were leaving out, Bullets said, okay, see you later, Art. Again, that is just those little things that Harry would never done with (laughs) Pounds because Pounds was a dick across the board, God rest his soul, in the book um god rest his, his his book soul but uh we see lieutenant bullets her acquiescing and saying hey you know what i make mistakes like everyone else and i can apologize and move on that doesn't change who i am as a person and or threaten my command that is a mark of a good uh lieutenant and we see is rewarded by Harry, is proving he has her back. And I just can't tell you. Let me stop here and let me digress a little bit. I can't tell you how effective I was when I had a command sh- staff that backed me. It's just like the best feeling when you're doing an investigation. And your command staff has your back. And it's not just they give you the tools to uh, do your job, but it's a coordinated effort. You guys are rocking and rolling, and you make a suggestion, and they say, yeah, let's try this. And, hey, could you look out for me on this end because my commanding officer or the deputy chief is on my ass about this. Like, no, no problem. I got that. And so you got this really good investigative juices flowing here. And when it happens, it's spectacular because, Then you're not worried about the personnel. Only thing you worry about is achieving the goal of bringing home this particular investigation. And it's a great thing. And as we come to the end of this podcast, I would like to leave you with a passage from the book. Bullet stood nearby, watching but not helping. She had risen to the detective bureau commander primarily on the success of her skills as an administrator, not as an investigator. She knew when to watch and when not to get in the way. And that gets us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for Trump Music, Chapter 1, is Lieutenant Grace Bullets. Now, I picked her, and I kind of gave it away a little bit while we were hitting the streets. But she seems to be, so far in this book, a good lieutenant for detectives. I've always lived by the mantra: lead, follow, or get the fuck out of the way. And the fact that one Lieutenant Billix has no problem saying she was sorry, two, following Harry's lead when it concerns art, and then telling Harry, "Hey, look, you know, while we're in the informal setting, just call me Grace," because she respects him as a detective, he respects her as a Lieutenant, but they also respect them, respect each other as being humans, and. I like her because just like I was saying before once you have a command staff that has your back and you can do a great job and you don't have to worry about them because they got your back oh my gosh you're you're on fire as a criminal investigator you're just on fire so again my everyone counts or no one counts person for Trump Music chapter one is Lieutenant Grace Billets This concludes the first part of Chapter 1, Trunk Music. Wow. It feels so good to be back behind the mic and back in the saddle again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. While wow, I took a little hiatus from doing podcasting for a little bit. But it feels so good to get back behind the mic and converse with you guys. So, as always, you can go to Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get there, please don't forget to rate me uh, five stars or better. And leave comments. You know, as I always said, comments, comments, comments. I love comments. So please keep the comments coming if you have any comments. Also, you can join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content. There you will find more detailed experiences concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Connolly. So, next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive and finish up chapter one of Trunk Music. Now, I split up chapter one because it's such a long chapter and it's such a setup chapter, and there's a lot of good details that I didn't want to rush through it, and I didn't want a three hour long podcast. I'm Philip Parker, and I'm 10 7 for the remainder.